Good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? Good to see you here this morning. So excited to just be able to come together and, and just worship together with our faith family. Uh, if you're visiting with us here today, we're excited that you're here. We're excited that you've decided to, to join us this morning. Uh, we, we welcome all people to come and be a part of what God's doing in this place. And it's just so amazing to see God just continue to do incredible things in our midst. And uh, today we actually have five baptisms happening. We saw three earlier. Amen. God just continues to just change lives, and it's worth celebrating, I think, just the movement of God among us. And I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled about what God is doing in this place. Hey, before we get started, I want to mention a couple of things that Pastor Michael mentioned last week uh, as he got up here. Uh, and, and the reason I want to bring these things up is because I'm so excited about what's happening in our family ministry. Uh, you know, summer is a, a very... Is a very uh, busy time for family ministry uh, we have so many different camps going on and a lot of uh, just things are changed up during the summer the kids are out of school and so it's a busy time but for us as staff it's also a busy time as we plan for the fall and believe it or not we're already thinking about September you know and and uh, which I guess back to school now is about the middle of August back when I was in school it was like October they've moved it up to to August but it, it's a uh, it's a time for us to also do a lot of planning, and so we as, as staff are constantly just planning and preparing for uh, back to school, which, you know, school hasn't even gotten out yet completely. But, uh, but anyway, we've got a lot of exciting things this summer, and I want to just mention this to you because I think it's so important. I want to say, first of all, parents, if you have a fifth grader who's going into sixth grade, then we have a, a, a fifth grade adventure weekend planned on June the 2nd, it's a great time for fifth graders to get a feel for what youth ministry feels like. And I just want to encourage you to, to enroll your, your student, your fifth grader into that. Uh, allow them to be a part of that weekend. It'll be a great time for you. It'll be a great time for them. But it's very important that this, this is uh, really the first step uh, as they transition from children's ministry to youth ministry. Uh, also, on June the 10th, we have a family fun day planned. And I'm very excited about that. Our family fun days are times where our entire church can come out and just have a good time together. And so it's, it's something that we're going to be talking more about in the weeks to come. But on June the, the 10th, we'll have that. And then that day on June the 10th, we will also kick off our middle school camp. And so at the fun day, all the, the uh, middle schoolers will be asked to just remain and, and to be a part of camp. And so it's going to be a very exciting time. If you want more information about any of what I've just told you about, please see Pastor Gabe or Pastor Michael uh, to answer any questions. Pastor Gabe's down here on the front row, and uh, they'll be glad to answer any questions that you may have. Or you can go online, and you can order. I mean, not order. Uh, order a kid uh, for the summer, you know. No, you can register for any of this that I've mentioned. So, um we just want to uh, just let you know that we're excited about family ministry and all that's happening this summer, and we hope that you are too. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about diving into God's Word this morning. Uh, God's been really stirring my heart for a couple of weeks for this message, and uh, I knew He was up to something 
really unique about two weeks ago when, when I just started reading it and reading the passages that we were going to look at today and just uh, just got very excited. And then, then last week something happened. I'm going to share all that with you in just a moment. But, but God's really been working in my heart, so I'm very excited about this message today. I think it's going to be one that is going to be very relevant for every one of us here today. And so I want to pray for us. And just ask God to set the tone, to set the stage for him to, to move in our hearts this morning. And I believe God wants to do business with all of us here today. I believe that God wants to encourage us. I believe that there are some here today who God wants to restore. And so as we think about all of that, as we even go to the Lord in prayer, would you pray that whatever you need in your life from God this morning, as we pray whatever it is that you just wish that God would just accomplish in your life today, would you just pray for that? Just pray, God, draw me close. God, help me to be more obedient. God, whatever it is that we need to be praying about, pray with me, pray for yourself, pray for us, pray for me as, as your pastor here this morning. But let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll just ask God to move in a special way today uh, as we, we go to him. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for your presence. And what an amazing day of just lifting up our voices and song and prayer. God, what an amazing day it has been already of worship, just witnessing three baptisms. God, just seeing that work being accomplished. God, we, we understand that when we see that taking place, God, we recognize that God, you're up to something in people's lives. And Father, we come to you today just knowing that, God, you want to do business in our hearts today. God, we know, we acknowledge that, Father, we desperately need you. And, and God, for people who are hungry and thirsty for your righteousness in our life, God, we know that when we turn to you, God, you are faithful to to give your all to us. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your word that teaches us and that admonishes us and that convicts us and encourages us and lifts us up and leads us to a place of just restoration for our souls. And so, Father, today as we prepare to dive into your word, I pray, God, that you would speak deeply into our hearts, that you would God, prepare us for what it is that you want to say to us this morning. And, God, as we do that, God, as we pray to you, as we turn to you, God, begin to speak into our life. God, help us to set aside every distraction that exists in our life today that we may have more of you. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're we're going to go there this morning. We're going to look at a few verses. We've got a few other things to, to look at as well, but... Um, I, I'm very excited about what God is going to teach us here today. Over the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been looking at different passages from the book of James, and we've been going to the book of Hebrews, and we've been sort of doing a parallel study between these two places, specifically Hebrews chapter 11, and, and, and we've been seeing a lot of really interesting stuff. And, and uh, as I've been studying for this, this message this week, God began to really take me on somewhat of a, a, a different path or a different direction. Uh, it, it, it's really amazing uh, what, what God's Word does when you're faithful to just dive into it and spend time there. And God uses His Word to just teach our hearts and to pour into us and to help us to understand 
the things that he wants us to know. And so uh, as I've turned to, to God this week and, and prepare for this message, you know, he, he began to reveal some really incredible things to me. And our message this morning is supposed to be how faith tames the tongue. We were going to look at James chapter 2, how faith tames the tongue. And I guess we could probably say we can still call it that if you want. I didn't really come up with a different title this week. We're going to look at James 2, but I think you'll be interested in knowing uh, that, that we're going to be we're going to be kind of sort of straying away from there, but while reading this, God really began to take my thoughts captive. And as I began to read through this passage and many others, I, I began to realize that, that this was going to be a, a little bit of a different message than, than, uh, than what I originally thought when I was putting this series together. I, I, I think it's also interesting, and, and I need to say that last Sunday when we were, when we were worshiping, uh, you know, and Spence and I have these talks all the time about how, you know, you know, if you look over there and you see me praying instead of worshiping, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just scared to death about what I've got to get up here and say, right? So a lot of times it's hard for us as leaders when we're, when we're in a, a different stages of the service, you know, to really uh, think about what's happening because we're so intent on our part of the service. And, but last week was a little bit different as God really got my attention during that time of worship. And, and, and he really began to stir my heart as we were worshiping God and lifting up our voices in song. And, and there was a song by Hillsong that we sang together. And uh, we're actually going to sing that song again today at the end of the service. But we were singing it. And the name of that song is uh, Who You Say I Am. And so it's, it's really amazing. I want to read to you some of, the, some of the lyrics this morning of that song. This actually comes from the, the, the section of the song that we call The Bridge. And, and it's really powerful to me because as I was thinking about what I would be preaching this week, just because of everything that God was revealing to me through my time of study, and then lifting up our voices in song and singing in this song, it, some things begin to really hit me. And, and I think you'll see the relevance of all this as we dive into God's Word here. But the, the words of the bridge go like this. We were singing this last week where we sang, I am chosen, not forsaken. And I love that. I am chosen, not forsaken. I think it's interesting because even believers and followers of Christ Jesus, sometimes we go through these circumstances or these different seasons in our life where we feel as though God is distant from us, or, or if we really begin to understand it, we begin to feel that we are distant from God, right? And so we begin to feel this sort of disconnect, and, and, and if we're not careful, we will feel as though we've been forsaken by God, but, but that's not the truth, is it? We know that not to be the truth, because God loves us, and He cares deeply for us, and He will never leave us nor forsake us, right? And so with the, the truth of the matter, and we were singing this truth, is is that we will never be forsaken. I am chosen, not forsaken. And then I love this part where it says, I am who you say I am. And I love that. And then the second part of that bridge is this. It says, it says um, you are for me and not against me. You are for me and not against me. And I think that's very interesting as well because oftentimes especially when we find ourselves maybe straying away from God and maybe meddling a little bit with sin or something, we, we begin to feel that distance again, and maybe it's 
from conviction or whatever, but we, we feel as though we're sort of, uh, you know, we're, we're apart from God and that, that apart from God just kind of gives us this feeling that, that maybe God's angry at us and we begin to fear the wrath of God in our life or something along those lines. And, and, and we begin to feel like maybe God's against who we are, but the truth of God's word says that God, again, speaks so clearly into this that God loves us and that we are a child of God. Would you say that with me this morning? I am a child of God. Say that again. I am a child of God. And that's what the word of God teaches us, that we are a child of God. And he doesn't forsake us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave us to get through this thing called life on our own. He doesn't do that. The word of God teaches us so much about who we are and about who God is. And I was reading this, and then again, this, this phrase, this, these few words that really just powerfully spoke to me, I am who you say I am. And I love that. I love that. It's so important that today we understand that as a child of God, we are who God says we are and not who we sometimes think we are. What a powerful, powerful song that we were singing. I want to show you something. Keep your finger right there in Philippians chapter 4. You can flip over to James chapter 2 for just a moment. We've got to include it because that was my original plan, right? But, uh, but I want to show you this. I want to show you how this, how this all comes together. It came together for me last week as we were worshiping together as a faith family. But in James chapter 2, we'll get to Philippians chapter 4 in just a second. I didn't lead you there and then forget about it, okay? And so we're going to look at that in just a moment. But in James chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it says this about the tongue, okay? Now this is speaking about the flesh. This is speaking about who by nature we can be, uh, you know, as just people who have who have been transformed by God, if we're not careful, our tongue can just get in the way of, of things and really mess things up. But anyway, James says this in chapter, in, in, in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a work of unrighteousness. Now let's just stop right there for just a moment. The tongue... He says here, the tongue is a fire, a work of unrighteousness. Now, normally, when we preach this text, uh, we begin to talk about the things, uh, talk about the danger of things like gossip, okay? We begin to talk about how we use our tongue in a negative way or in a way that is unfaithful to who God wants us to be. And so we would look at this passage of Scripture and we would typically think, you know, well, here comes a message on lying or here comes a message on using foul language or here comes a, a message on being divisive with our tongue, being, you know, people who, who are speaking out against others. And, and, and that's typically where we go. If we look at this message and this is typically where we would sort of can out as we as we look at this and so uh, and and those things would be right I mean as we look at this passage we understand that that is uh, something that James is speaking into here uh, this morning but this is what hit me while we were singing last week what if we thought for just a moment about the things that we don't say to other people but that we, what we say to ourselves in other words speaking into our own life I mean, listen to these words. 
We are singing the song saying, you, we, I am who you say that I am. But we are, as believers in Christ Jesus, oftentimes telling ourselves that we are something different than who God would say we are. And this is something that is very powerful to me to think about because it's something that I believe that is, is, is something that we need to understand. You know, here's, here's the thing. Why would we ever say anything about ourselves that is contradictory to what God believes about us as children of God? And here's why I would say we often do that because the devil is in those details, right? Here's what the Scripture says about the devil. The Scripture tells us that the devil is a liar, the devil is a liar. And in fact, in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says this. It says, when he lies, speaking of the devil, speaking of Satan, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, the father of liars. And so if there is anything that is characteristic of the enemy, if there's anything that is characteristic of the devil, it's the reality that he is the liar. The first lie that was recorded in Scripture is, is, is a lie that was told by Satan in the Garden of Eden when he told uh, Eve that surely you can eat of the fruit of life and will not die. And yet by eating the fruit, she brought into humanity what? And, eat, and I, don't, I don't want to leave uh, Adam out either, but... But uh, brought into what? Brought into the world death. That's right. Brought into the world death. And so we know he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's one that, that, that would, would really just love to destroy us. And when he lies, and here's where the, here's where the danger exists when he comes to us, and he lies when he comes to us and deceives, when he comes to us and tempts us with these, these untruths, then here's what begins to often happen. We begin to believe those lies. We begin to even tell ourselves those same lies. Let me give you an example. The devil comes to you one day and he says, God doesn't love you. Look at your life. Look at the mess you are. God doesn't love you. What begins to happen? We begin to say, man, look at my life. I'm such a mess. God couldn't possibly love me. You see how it works? We changed it from an enemy who wants to destroy us, telling us a lie, to saying to ourselves, God doesn't love me, which is contradictory to what the Word of God teaches us, right? And so we begin to believe that God doesn't love us, that somehow He has forsaken us, somehow He has left us, and we begin to believe this lie that, that God no longer loves us when that lie was once told to us by an enemy who wants to destroy our life, but we begin to believe it and tell ourselves that untruth. Another example would be, you know, to think, you know, where the devil comes up and he says, you know what, you're worthless. God can't use you. God can't use you for his glory. God can't use you for his kingdom. You are worthless. And as we begin to hear that lie, we begin to believe that lie, and we begin to suddenly say, I'm worthless. There's no purpose in my life. We begin to not only believe the lie, we begin to say the lie to our, ourselves. We begin to 
hear from the devil when he says, nobody cares about you. Look at you in your loneliness, in your pain, in your suffering, in these things that you are going through. Nobody cares about you. And suddenly we begin to believe that lie. And suddenly we begin to say, nobody cares about me anymore. Nobody loves me. You see how? It can turn so quickly. And so today, I want to talk more about the things that we say to ourselves rather than the things that we say to each other. We've probably all heard this message preached from an angle of what we shouldn't say to other people or how we shouldn't speak in public and all those things. But I want us to think about something that I believe is a deeper issue in our own life, and that is believing the things that harm us and those things that we believe are coming from our own thoughts and our own mind. A powerful thing for us to consider. Now I'm ready for Philippians chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there with me, if you will. Philippians chapter 4. And, and let me just say this as you go back there to Philippians chapter 4. Let me just say this because I think this is something that we need to understand as we prepare to dive into this, this passage. Just in case you're not, you're not real clear on what I'm, what I'm speaking about here today. Uh, let me just say this. Nobody... Nobody speaks louder into your life than you do. Nobody speaks louder and more clearly into your life than you do. And so hang on to that thought as we turn to Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. We'll just start there for today. Paul, if you remember, is speaking to the Philippians. The Philippians is a church. It's a local body that lives in Philippi, and he, he loves this church. He, he adores this church. This church is a church that he is, is very fond of, and he, he just thinks the world of, and, and there's a great relationship. In fact, he he, he says at the beginning of this letter that he is writing, and by the way, he's in prison when he's writing this letter, but he even says to them, I am thankful for the partnership that we share in the gospel. And so he is very fond of this relationship that they have. And so here Paul is writing in chapter 4, and he says something really interesting. Uh, you know, back in the day when Paul was writing these letters, all the different churches were suffering in a great deal. A lot of them were, were really under a lot of oppression and a lot of persecution and a lot of things. That they, were, they, were, they were finding themselves in circumstances they didn't like. And so Paul's writing this letter to them, and as he's writing this letter, he, he's talking about you know, staying unified together as a body. You must stay unified. You're under the attack of, of an enemy who wants to destroy not only your life as individuals, but the church. And he, he's speaking into this all the time. And so by the time we get to chapter 4 uh, of this letter, we begin to see something really interesting. And I think that what Paul is addressing here is very important for all of us here this morning. But read this with me, if you will, here this morning, starting with verse 1. This is what Paul says. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. You can see it there. I mean, he's still not talking about how much he cares for this church. He, says, he calls them his joy and his crown. And so he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my crown and my joy, this is important. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, let me just stop right there for just a moment. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, 
He's challenging them to stand firm despite everything that life throws their way. He says, stand firm. Have this faithfulness to who you are. Stand firm in, in, in who you are. And, and, and so it's really amazing, but I want to share something that I think is powerfully relevant to us as believers and followers of Christ Jesus. Paul is not, he is not telling them to stand firm in their bravery. He's not telling them to stand firm in their courageousness. He's not pointing out this reality that they are strong in Christ Jesus and therefore they should stand firm in their strength. He's not dealing with that. He's speaking into their weakness. And so he is saying, in your weakness, stand firm. In who you are as a child of God, stand firm. He, he's telling them to stand firm in their weakness, to stand firm in the challenges of everyday life. And so he is pointing out something to them that is a need in their life, that is to stand firm, to stand where they are. He's telling them to hold their ground, if you will, but he understands also the pains that they are, they are suffering from. He understands the situations that they're going through. He understands all the, the dealings of life that are being thrown their way. And so he says, I, I get all that. I understand that you're going through things in your life that are, that are maybe harder than anything you ever thought you would have to go through. But he says, in your weakness, stand firm. And I got to looking at this and beginning to, to think about all of this, begin to, to realize that, you know, sometimes standing in our weakness is all we have. How many of you ever felt like this? And this is a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. But how many of you ever ever felt like you just can't make any progress in life? You just can't seem to get anywhere. Sometimes it just feels as though you take two steps forward and how many steps back? Four, right? Sometimes it, life goes like that. It seems like, it seems like you get two steps forward and then you take four steps back. You take four steps forward, you take another step back. It seems as though sometimes we just can't seem to go anywhere in this thing called life. I've had I don't know how many conversations about people who describe this to me with their, concerning their finances where they say, you know, Pastor, it seems like I get a little money saved up and I go, praise God, we have some money saved up and then I need a new air conditioner for the house and there goes the money, you know, and it just seems like we just can't seem to ever make any progress in life. Uh, not only just those types of things, but just circumstances that we're dealing with in our life. Pain, you know, we can be in the most joyful place of our life, the most happiest moments in our life, and suddenly the most devastating news is received. Oftentimes, we just seem to not be able to go anywhere, do we? You know what, I was looking at this passage and I was thinking about this and I was thinking sometimes all we have is to stand where God last put us. Sometimes that's the only thing we can do. In our weakness, we just have to stand right where God put us for whatever reason. We may not understand it, we may not get it, but sometimes that's the, that's the only place we can stand. Uh, we, sometimes we're forced to just stand where God last showed us, where God says, this is where I want you. Sometimes that's all we have is to stand firm in our weakness. Maybe sometimes all we have is, to, is the ability to stand firm in what he last taught us. God, I want so much more of you. Well, David, 
I want you to learn what I've been teaching you. <laughs> you know, you ever felt like that sometimes? I've been trying to teach you this. We're not moving on till you get this, son, you know. I, I feel like that sometimes, don't you? Sometimes in our weakness, we just have to stand where it is he has us. And I believe that's what Paul's saying here. I, I don't think he's saying brave and courageous ones. You who are strong in Christ Jesus, I think he's talking about standing firm in our weakness through Christ Jesus. But then he tells us how to stand firm. He comes, he comes to us with this idea to just stand firm, to hold our ground. And like people generally are, we, we like to... You know, the first, the, the first time we get an idea that, that we, we are on to something, that we figure something, I mean, that we have an idea about doing something, okay, I know that we need to stand firm. We are really good to running out and getting the how-to book on how to stand firm, aren't we? Used to, when we read books instead of the Internet, I'd go straight to Books A Million. They had this section that's called This for Dummies. I say this because they had something on every topic. If I wanted to learn anything, that's the section I went to because I felt like such a dummy most of the time. You know, computers for dummies, right? Six, Six-year-olds are, you know, just flying through it, and I don't even know how to type, you know. I got to, I got to run out the books a million. Praise God, I've, I've progressed a little bit. He's allowed me to not stand firm in that, but I'm still just amazed by how young people can be so proficient in these electronics, amen? But the reality is, is that here... We see where Paul, he tells us how, and, and, and I want to just go ahead and go to verse 8 here. We're not going to read all this, this whole chapter here, but Philippians chapter 4, we've looked at verse 1. Go to verse 8 with me for just a moment because I think this is so powerful. He says this, he says, finally, brothers, and I love this, he says, finally, what, and, and let me just say this, finally, I'm reading this word finally, and I know you kind of underlined that in your book. That doesn't mean this sermon's coming to an end, Okay. I just want you to know, we're not done yet, okay? Don't be like, finally is correct, pastor. No, we're, we're, we're just getting, I mean, we're just still in the introduction here. So, uh, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, look at what it says there. Think about these things think about these things you remember what we're talking about right how faith can tame the tongue right and we're not talking about what the things that we say to other people we can talk about that on another day what we're talking about are the lies that we believe and then the lies that we literally tell ourselves right that's what we're talking about but here's what Paul says Paul says, you know, in, in, in verse 1, which is, is, is so amazing, he says, therefore, brothers, stand firm. Then he says, here's how you do it. And he goes, he lists all these things. He lists all these thoughts. He, he lists all these things, not the lives of the devil, but not the voices in our head, he says, but think about the things of God. I love what he does as he lays out this list. What is really amazing is if you look at all of these things, these are all things that God is. They seem like, 
you know, attributes or characteristics of a, of a believer's life, but when you look at it, he's really pointing to the attributes of God, and so he's laying out to us, these are the things that are holy, these are the things that are good, these are the things that are beautiful, these are the things that are magnificent, and he says, man, if you want to think about something, think about these things. You want peace in your life? Think about these things. You want uh, courage in your life? Think about these things. You want, you want to, to live a life of, of fulfillment and be filled with the Spirit of God? Think about these things. You want to tell yourself something day by day by day by day? Tell yourself these things. Remind yourself today of how glorious God is not what's wrong with this world. God is so glorious. God is so beautiful. And we've got to stop being the people that criticize everything we see. When our minds, when our focus is on the things of this world, all we're going to do is become more worldly. But when we begin to focus on the things of God... God begins to sanctify the spirit. He begins to encourage and lift up the believer. He begins to allow them to walk in the faithfulness of his presence. We begin to see God move in ways we've never seen him move in our life. Because our minds aren't on the things of the world. We're not believing the lies of the devil. We're not even believing the lies of the flesh. We're believing the word of God. So here we see where Paul lays all of this out. Don't listen to the lies of the devil or the voices in your head, but think about these things. This week I was talking to Janetta. She's our communications director here at the church. And she told me this, this really interesting story, and I, I just want to share this with you. I think it's really interesting. She told me about this time where one of her professors did this experiment in the class, and I'm always leery of these experiments that these professors do in class, but, but this one professor, he says, I want you to do something. I want you to look around the room, and I want you to look and, and count how many people, look and see as many people as you can that are wearing blue. Okay, and so the class began to look just like some of you are doing right now. You're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know. But they begin to say, how many people do you see in the room that are wearing blue? I wore a blue shirt for this experiment today, right? So anyway, but she said, she said everybody began to look. And then when she kind of brought their attention back to the professor, he said, okay, now I want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes. And after every eye was closed, he says, now tell me how many people were wearing red. And the point of that is that I believe that, that what makes this such an incredible illustration is the devil wants you to see the blue and not see the red. And he's real good at filling our heads with these lies and distracting us from seeing the truth of God's word. It's so important that we stop listening to the lies of the enemy. We stop listening to the voices in our head. And we begin to spend time in God's word and discern his voice. Jesus said something really remarkable about his disciples. He says, they will recognize him by his voice. All right. 
So let's dive into this passage. I got so much more to do. We may have to, golly. Paul offers eight things to think about. We're not going to go into them, so don't panic. But what he's doing, he's, he's basically pointing out these attributes of God. And one of the things that he says, he says, think about these things. But the first thing that he mentions here is he says this. He says, whatever is true. Whatever is true. I, I saw that and I wondered, well, why would he focus on this? Whatever is true. It, 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 it's interesting to me that Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know what that has to do with this, but I think everything okay but the reality is he says here he says think about these things and then one of the things that Paul says is he says think about those things that are true and what I gathered from this as I was reading into this is that we will never be able to live a life a steadfast life without having a concentrated mind we'll never have be able to live a life of steadfastness being able to stand firm if we're not living a life that is focused on the things of God that's what Paul's saying that's the gist of everything that Paul is pointing out to us and and we begin to understand this you know over the last few weeks we've been looking at what it means to be a person of faith and we've we've been seeing example after example of this and it's important that we we understand that you know if you were to go back just a few verses from the passages that we're looking at still in Philippians chapter 4 but go to verse 6 we would see this where Paul says do not be anxious about anything now typically if we're talking about anxiety and we're talking about faith we would contrast those two right we would look at those and we would say don't live a life of anxiety don't be an anxious person because you don't want to be a, an anxious person be a person of faith and so we would contrast the two but what's really remarkable is that both anxiety and faith have something really remarkable in common with each other. And this is what that is. Both are driven by focus. Both are driven by focus. If you are focusing, if you are focusing on the circumstances of your life or the things that you're going through or the hardships and the, the things that bring pain, if you're focusing on those things, there will be great anxiety in your life. If you're focusing on Jesus, if you're keeping your eyes on the author and the perfecter of, Christ, uh, of our salvation, Jesus Christ, if we're, if we're focused on Jesus, focused on the things of God, then there will be faith. Despite the circumstance, we we can walk in faith right why because our eyes are on the author and perfecter of our faith the Lord Jesus Christ where our eyes are are vertical not horizontal and so these both of these things are driven by focus and what I believe Paul is really saying here to us that he wants us to understand when he says think about these things he's saying stay focused on the things of God and he gives us this whole list and I said I wasn't going to go through them but I am real quickly here he says, what is true? What is honorable? What is just? What is pure? What is lovely? Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise. He mentions these eight things, and, and it's almost as if Paul is saying, stop asking God for more faith if you're not willing to change your focus. Stop asking if your focus is on the things of the world, then there will be no more faith. And he says, stop asking for more faith. God, give me faith, give me faith, give me faith when we're living like the devil in the world. 
And so he, cha he challenges us. He says, stop doing that. Change your focus, and that determines your faith. Faith in what? Faith in God or faith in the world? What a power. Do you see what he's doing here? Do you see what Paul is laying out to us as we think about all of this? He challenges us to the core. We have to, Paul says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever there is in excellence, anything worthy of praise. He says, take all of this you want. There's an unlimited supply of this. Focus on this. Consume this in your life, not the things of the world. A few years back, the doctor put me on a no-carb diet. I went to the doctor. I was grossly overweight. He looked at me. He said, David, things are critical. I, I was diagnosed as being diabetic, and he says, you've got to lose weight. He says, I'm going to put you on a no-carb diet, and you better stick to it, or you won't last another week. He scared the life out of me. He really did. And so he, he puts me on this no-carb diet, and he begins to set the boundaries for me. He says, no carbs. I, I was talking to Linnell. I said, well, I can eat corn, can I? I mean, that's a vegetable. And she said, hon, that's what they fatten pigs with. No, you can't eat corn. It's full of carbs, you know. And, but, but he said, no carbs, none. I mean, I want you to stay away from them. And he says, but this is what you can eat all you want of, bacon. I'm like, bingo. I can do this. Bacon. So what you're saying is I can have all of the things I really want and not have the things that I could do without, right? And so, I mean, and I dropped 30 pounds doing that and I got my pancreas in order and all that good stuff. And I mean, he was right. And, and I mean, like I just gobbled down bacon. Now all, you know, just eat as much of it as I can. I put it on everything. I put it on my green beans. I mean, if I'm gonna have green beans, I'm just wrapping everything. No, I'm kidding you. I didn't go crazy with it. But here's, what, here's what's so amazing. Paul, he lays these things out and he says, he says, he says, listen, take in all of this you want. Just stay away from the other. Just stay away from the other. Stay away from that. Don't let your mind align itself with what the devil is telling you because this is what you already know. He is lying to you. Don't let your mind align itself with the flesh because the flesh is up to no good as well. Align yourself with these things. Paul says, think about these things. So here's the question that I want to ask today. Is what you're thinking about leading you away from God or into his marvelous presence? Are the things that you're thinking about on a daily basis, are the, things that you, are the things that you tell yourself, are the things that you're thinking about every day, are they leading you away from God, or are they, are they causing you to run into his marvelous light, his amazing strength? I want to show you something. I'm going to ask Jeanette if she will. Well, she's already out there. My goodness. I want to ask her to go ahead and begin to, to play there, but... I want to show you something. I want to, I want to show you two promises this morning. I've got two promises and four subpoints under each one. And then we're done. No. Look with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. I love this. 
It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see that? I want you to think about that for just a moment. The peace of God. Isn't that what we desire a lot of times more than anything else in the world? The peace of God. I mean, man, if we could just have the peace of God every moment of our life, it wouldn't matter what we're going through, right? It wouldn't matter how much money we have. It wouldn't matter, you know, when we lose a loved one. It wouldn't matter. I mean, it matters, but, but the peace of God, it guards our heart. It, help us, it helps us to get through the day. This peace of God, and this is a very familiar passage to us, the, the peace of God. We need this in our life. So Paul says here very clearly, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, look with me, if you will, at verse 9. Just two verses later, Paul says this. These are bookmarks on, the, on verse 8, which we dove into pretty heavily here already. But here's what it says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? What we see here is an inversion. We see a flip-flop. In verse 7, he's talking about the peace of God. And then here's what the, the second promise is. This is what's so amazing about the Word of God. He says, the God of peace will be with you. You see, one of the things that we must walk out of here with today, one of the things that I think is so encouraging to us that we must walk out of here today is that God just doesn't simply give us as a gift of his greatness and his grace, his resources. He gives us the privilege of his presence. We get to walk in his presence. You see, we have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, but we have something even greater than that. We have the God who gives us the peace that is walking with us. And so we see this beautiful picture that Paul is laying out to us. We have the peace of God, but we have the God of peace. Let us not just think he's offered to us one of his simple resources that we can put in our pocket and carry with us. No, the God of peace walks with us. The God of peace is always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will not abandon us. He will not give up on us. He is there for us despite everything that the world, the devil, and ourself tells us. We have a holy and righteous God who loves us and cares deeply for us. It matters what you are telling yourself. It matters. You know what my prayer is this morning? My prayer is that, is that this morning we would become Psalm 51 people. I want to read you this last little passage. I think this is it. Psalm 51. This is my prayer for us this morning. This is what I'm hoping for us this morning. Psalm 51, verse 8, it says this. Let me hear joy and gladness 
Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. I don't know about you. I want to be the kind of person having the faith in God that when I hear anything in my mind, it is joy and gladness. Amen? That what my voice, that what flows through my head is joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. It says in verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's what I pray for us this morning. I pray for revival in our hearts. I pray for restoration of our life. I pray that we take back that which Satan has stolen from us. I pray that we would recognize today that we have victory in Jesus. Amen? That we have victory in Jesus. And that our heart would cry out to God, create in me a clean heart, God, one that has been cleansed by your presence and your power. Give me the peace that surpasses all understanding that I may walk with the Prince of Peace. That's what I pray for us this morning. That we would walk with the Prince of Peace. I believe this morning there are probably a lot of us in this room that need Psalm 51 to be the prayer of our hearts this morning. I believe that there's probably a lot of us here in this room that needs to do business with God. And I believe that God wants to lift us up. I believe that God wants to restore us. I believe that God wants to do something remarkable in our hearts this morning. I believe that. I believe it for me. I don't think God's done with me. I'm probably one of the most insecure people in the whole world. I'll just go ahead and testify that to you. I don't believe God's done with me. I think God wants me to, to help me see that my, my strength and, and my weakness is in Christ, my Savior. I don't believe God's done with me, and I don't believe for one second that God's done with you. I don't believe that. I believe that the very reason that you're sitting here this morning is because God wanted you to be here and that he drew you unto himself so that you could hear from him and that you could respond with your life and you could turn to him and you could ask God to make you a Psalm 51 person, that he would restore your life, that he would give you a renewed life, that he would give you uh, just an awakening if necessary in your life, but that he wants to do work in your heart. That's what I believe. I believe God wants you to know him more. That's what I believe.